0: Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. Emily Dickinson Death has always been a particularly confusing situation for the Irish. We're the only race that celebrates death and mourns the marriage. With beliefs rooted in pagan times, a healthy dose of guilt, shame, and misinformation courtesy of Holy Mother Church, and perhaps a jar or too much of liquid spirits, it's no wonder we don't know which way is up or down, as it were, when it comes to how we're supposed to die and what happens after. Right from the first... Death had me scratching the old cranium. As far as I can gather, the father and his father came to America in 1922 to escape the vengeance of His Majesty's law lads for activities against the interests of the crown. Although IRA membership and purported heroism increase with the number of downed pints in Ireland, The talk was that grandfather was wanted for the dispatching of a constable of the RIC, the Royal Irish Constabulary. There was a letter, one that hung around for years, a very official-looking one, in that grave, organized rebellion way that asked for safe conduct to America for the duo. The father remained here, the grandfather returned to Ireland after the hunt had been called off, or so the story goes. Malachi Sr. then met up with the mother, Angela, in 1930 at a dance in Brooklyn, after which they did what most of us cannot imagine our parents doing. The result of the knee trembler, what the smart Irish call stand-up sex against the wall, was pregnancy, and thus began the gallop of Angela's family folk, mostly large female cousins from Brooklyn and husbands thereof to the rescue. The daddy was made to marry the mammy. No shotguns present, just a stern Irish warning of punishment to come if daddy declined. For if the Jews have a monopoly on guilt, then the Irish Roman Catholics own the monopoly on remorse. Protestants have regrets only, thank you. Five months later, on August 19, 1930, there popped out into Brooklyn, America, that literary lad, Frank McCourt. A year, a month, and a day later, it was my turn to pop out, on September twentieth, 1931, and a year and a month after that, out popped the twins, Eugene and Oliver, not identical, but very much together, in mischief and mirth. A year later, in the midst of the five males and the mother, there popped out Margaret Mary McCourt. Five children in a little over four years, and the rhythm method be damned. If the last of the American McCourts had been a male, I doubt I would remember Margaret Mary the way I do but a male she wasn't. Instead, the most exquisite, angelic, entrancing little creature, with amazing black hair, the bluest of blue eyes, and a baby skin that was so pure, it was almost translucent, have a permanent place in my mind. Her little voice sent out a sound so softly musical that we didn't mind at all if she cried. In my memory, illuminated by the arrival of this tiny, magical being, the shabby apartment was suddenly filled with song, smile, and loving talk as we crowded around her crib just to look at her. Frank, Oliver, Eugene, and I all slept in the same bed, twins at the bottom, Frank and I at the head of the bed with me on the inside. There was a severe shortage of sheets so changes of bedclothes were infrequent and the immediate atmosphere around our bed could be described as acrid. We were not piss poor. There was more than enough to go around. Then.